So uh, a number of weeks ago, we started a series on parables. Uh, Jesus, is, he's a rabbi, he's a teacher, and he often taught in parables, and we're going to continue that tonight. And when you listen to the various parables, or not even just beyond the parables, just teachings of Jesus, you recognize right away that he is not, he is not a one-size-fits-all teacher. As a rabbi or teacher, he approached different people differently. He was sensitive to their different circumstances. So, for example, here, Robbie, if you go to the next slide, sometimes people, Jesus came alongside people like this image, um, where, you know, he sought to put his arm around them, encourage them, give them hope uh, in in a a certain moment or a challenging circumstance. So when uh, Martha, when her brother died, uh, Lazarus, Jesus essentially put his arm around her and said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, which is from John 11. I mean, you know, we want to say encouraging words to our friends, right? But Jesus can say something like this because he's the eternal son of God who rose on the third day. Um, He can encourage others like that. Sometimes Jesus comes from behind and he gives people a push. Uh, Rob needs to go to the next slide. (laughs) (laughs) You might command them, as this image suggests, like a model bird kicking the the baby bird out of the nest, like it is time to fly on your own, here you go. Um, You know, and he sent his disciples out into the world. He said, go out there, preach in my name, pray in my name, heal in my name, and I'm with you. I give you my authority. You're not alone. Uh, tonight, like if, 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 or tomorrow, or Sunday, if, you know, if you go out and you're answering people's questions as they text them in or email them in for questions for case ideas, this is you, right? This is you're, you're sort of getting kicked out of the nest. And imagine you as that baby bird with, with a case ID in your mouth, ready to go. <laughs> right? You're going in the name of Jesus to speak on His behalf, to pray, to to be with people, and to and remember, like Jesus is with you. You're not alone. But sometimes you can go to the next. Sometimes Jesus, you know, comes alongside of people, sometimes he pushes people, he commands them, and sometimes he goes toe-to-toe with them. And it's always for a purpose. It's not just a fight. It's always to, with the hope of bringing them closer to God, bringing them closer to the truth, pulling them out of the deception that they're in. But he'll wrestle with them. Um, like, this is image suggests there's two women wrestling, because it is International Women's Day. That's what Google told me when I went to That's right. And for those of you classics majors, there's two men wrestling on a Greek urn. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Jesus, he would come toe-to-toe with people and tell them tough things, things that they did not want to hear, but things that they needed to hear. And this is what is going to be the case for our parable tonight. It is a toe-to-toe encounter between Jesus and some religious leaders uh, that he's having dinner with. So... Like I said, we've been focusing on Jesus and his parables. The parable tonight is called the parable of the great banquet. Uh, So my title, What to Expect When God Throws a Party. So first is what we're going to do. We're going to look at the toe-to-toe encounter, toe-to-toe encounter, and then we're going to hear, that's the background, then we're going to hear the parable, and then we're going to look at some of the lessons that flow out, life lessons that flow out of the parable, okay? So first, go ahead, Robbie, the toe-to-toe encounter. So imagine the scene, right? So it's a large room. Jesus is in there, he is a guest, and there's a prominent religious leader, Uh, it's his house, and this prominent religious leader has invited all of his prominent friends to sit and eat with Jesus. But there's something suspicious going on, because they have planted a sick person in the room. The sick person doesn't really belong there, but they've planted him in the room. So Jesus starts the meal 
by saying to the religious leaders, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Because they're eating on the Sabbath. Okay? It's a theological question. It's, it's a yes-no question. But as he asks that question, nobody there, these are prominent religious leaders, they know the law, they're teachers of law, nobody will answer Jesus' theological question. It's stone-cold silence. If you invite me to a meal, and then you ask me a question, and I just look at you with stone-cold silence, that is going to create some tension. And that's, that's what begins to mount here. All right. So Jesus moves on from their silence, and what does he do? Anybody want to guess? Yeah, I heard it. He heals the man. So now you know Jesus answered to the theological question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Well, yes, it is. And so he does it. And then he asks a personal question. Go ahead, Robin. He asks them, if one of you has a donkey or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And the answer to that is pretty obvious. Like, yeah, if, if something of precious value to me falls into a well, and, and my livelihood depends on this, and it's the Sabbath, I'm going to pull this out of the well for, for the sake of my family and providing for them. Right? So it's, it's a personal question, but again, they do not answer Jesus' question. And it's really just, it's not even a yes-no question, it's a yes question. But they don't answer it. Stone-cold silence. But their silence speaks. It basically says, we value our animals more than people in need. Right? We would rather keep our man-made laws, like healing on the Sabbath, than to help those who have a desperate need. That's, that's what they're saying by their silence. So Jesus has made his point. Remember, he is a guest here. This is not his house. He's a guest. And he can stop there. But he presses forward. Next, he speaks to everybody at the table, and he says, I'm paraphrasing here, I know you've been watching me. Right? You're here to scrutinize me and figure me out. Well, I've been watching you. I'm, I'm a, uh, and, and when you came into this meal, I noticed that everybody who came was jockeying for the most important positions at the table. Everybody wanted to be as, as important as they could possibly be and sit next to the host. Right? And Jesus says, at the end of that, he says, if you exalt yourself, if you're trying to exalt yourself, he says, you're going to be humble. And conversely, if you humble yourself, then you're going to be exalted. And then he, goes, he gives like a little bit of an illustration in the midst of this. I'll, I'll give it to you. I'll make it personal for you, right? If you go to a wedding and you, you show up and you're like, okay, where do I sit? Oh, I'm really hungry. My goodness, there's like hundreds of chairs. I, I don't know where I'm supposed to go. And you just decide, I'm going to just, there's the bride and the groom. I'm going to sit next to the bride and the groom, right? <laughs> well, guess what? <laughs> The bride, whenever the bride arrives and sits down, the bride's going to turn to you and say, uh, excuse me, you, you do not belong here. Uh, you, you belong over like in table 22, way over there by the kitchen. So now please get up, move from your seat, this prominent, exalted seat, and now go make the walk. And now you've got to sort of do the walk, the humble walk to the other side of the room in front of everybody. Right? That's basically the, the little illustration that Jesus gives. To, to say, like, if you're so focused on feeling important, on being important, and, and having other people see that you're important, then guess what? You are far from the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus tells these religious leaders. And he doesn't stop there. He takes one more step. He has everybody's attention now, and so now he turns to his host, the one who's putting on the dinner. And this is what he says to the host. When you give a luncheon or dinner, which is what the host is doing, 
Do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors, which is what the host has done. If you do, they might invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Can you imagine? President Eisgruber invites you to a meal, and there's like all the Princeton University trustees, and then you start criticizing his policies <laughs> and his leadership of the university. Can you imagine? I mean, I, good luck graduating. <laughs> But this is, this is what Jesus does. He, he, he courageously steps forward and tells these people truths that they don't want to hear, but they really need to hear, with the hope that it would be redemptive in their life. Jesus tells his host, look, you're loving people who are just like you. Everybody does that. But if the love of God were actually in your life, you would love people different than you. You, you would look out for their good and their flourishing, and you would do it for people who cannot pay you back. Right? And so the implication is, is he said, Jesus is saying, I, I do not see the love of God in your life, the grace of God in your life, because if it were, it would be making a difference in how you relate to people around you. So I hope you can see how this is a toe-to-toe encounter. It is a tense meal, and Jesus has criticized all of the guests. He's criticized the hosts. And when things get tense, I mean, you know what usually happens, right? And it, it's classic. It's exactly what happens in this story. Somebody who feels the palpable tension mounting steps forward and tries to deflate the tension, tries to break the ice, tries to divert the conversation. That's exactly what happens here. I, I call this guy the tension breaker man. Okay? <laughs> tension breaker man steps in. This is Luke 14, yeah, 15. He, he steps in and he says, to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Right? Like, let's just give me attention on that. Let's just talk about the kingdom of God and the feast that's coming. Because this is the Jewish hope that one day, you know, someday off in the future, the Messiah would bring a kingdom. And it, with that kingdom would come joy and feasting because all injustice, all suffering, all tears are wiped away. And so this man is saying, blessed, happy will be the person who gets to that feast. Um, so, you know, it's a beautiful vision of glorious hope. Thank you, tension-breaking breaker man. Um, and, so, and, and Jesus, he uses this as an opportunity. He's like, oh, I'm glad you mentioned the kingdom of God. <laughs> Let me tell you a parable about the kingdom of God and the feast that's coming in the kingdom of God. So here comes the, now we're the second part of uh, the talk tonight, this, this is the parable itself, okay? So the, the toe-to-toe encounters the backdrop. Now, here comes the parable, verse 16, all right. Jesus said to him, tension breaker man, but really to everybody else there, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And as you're going to see as this parable goes on, the man, the, the host, the master of this house is really standing in place of God, right? And gives a great banquet and invites many. It's just people. Okay, the people who are here at this particular banquet, and then just people in general, like you and I tonight, right? And that, this is a total preset moment. But like Jesus, this is, he's sitting at a banquet, and now he's telling a story about a banquet. This is a banquet within a banquet. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So verse 17. And at the time for the banquet, he, the host, sent his servant to say to those who had been invited. These are people who RSVP'd, yes. Okay, come, for everything is now ready. 
So the tables, the servants, the food, the music, everything is ready. The master says to his servant, just go and say, come, we're ready to part. Okay? And like I said, these people had been invited. They had already bought RSVP. Yes, like we are coming. We are there. To be a no-show at this point would be extremely rude. And this is where the parable now takes a turn. So here, verses 18 to 20. But they, the people who are RSVP, yes, all alike began to make excuses. The first said to the host, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please excuse me. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And another said, I just got married, so I cannot come. So these people who are RSVP, yes, they back out at the last minute. The no-shows decide, I have something more important to do than to go to the host's party. And the servant comes back, and he gets this report about these cancellations. Like, so-and-so had too much work to do, so-and-so had an important family obligation, and so forth, right? And so the servant came, this is verse 21, and reported these things to his master. And then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, well, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Because right now, at this juncture, the master has to make a decision. Do I just cancel this party because it's falling apart? Well, or do I just go on without the people who are originally coming and I just invite other people? And his decision is right there. I'm, I'm just going to send another wave of invitations. I have seats to fill. I have, a, I, have a, I have a house and a party that's ready to go. And, and so this time the invitations go out to a group of unexpected invitees, the poor, the lame, the, the, lame and the blind. These are the marginalized of society. And the host doesn't exclude them based on their status or background. He wants people to fill his seats. And then presumably the servant goes out and does that, and then he comes back and reports and he says, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Well, now go out to the highways and to the hedges. And the hedges, like this, I grew up in South Jersey, so like the pinelands, like the, the, we call it the boonies, like the, the, the places where very few people go, right? Um, go out to the highways, the hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. So the, another wave of invitations go out, and, and people come, and the master says, compel them to come. And of course, he does not mean, like, make them come against their will. That's obvious, because the first round of people who were invited, they, didn't, they chose not to come, and the master didn't, like, compel them against their will. But the idea is, is like, go out there and persuade, convince, reason, do, do whatever you can to get people to come to my party, because it's a party that they don't want to miss. And then Jesus concludes this parable with, here it is, verse 24, For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So the master shuts the door, and he locks them out. And he says, they won't even get a taste of my banquet. And that's the end of the parable. And when you look at Luke's gospel, that's, that's where we're stopping in, in the scripture passage tonight. When you look at Luke's gospel, you want, like, verse 25 and 26, like, okay, well, how did they respond? What did they say? What did they do? And nothing. Just that's the end. And then it moves on. And so it's really open-ended. I mean, like, they're sitting there, and now it's for them to respond to what Jesus has just said. And the tragic irony is that this is like, a, well, the tragic irony, remember what the tension breaker man said? It's like, you know, Blessed is the one who's going to be feasting, you know, at the king, at God's table, at the kingdom of God, right? The reality is, is that this is exactly what's happening. 
But here is Jesus, God in the flesh, the eternal Son of God, who's sitting at a banquet table with them. They are feasting with him, right? But they don't see it. Like, the kingdom of God is right in front of them, and they don't see it. And we're actually told, this is the third time in Luke's gospel where Jesus dines with religious leaders, and it's actually the final time. This is their, quote-unquote, last supper with Jesus. And like it, how it ends, it just ends on a cliffhanger. Unless they respond to who Jesus actually is, God in the flesh with them, Savior of the world, then this is how it will end for them. They'll be on the other side of a closed door. Right now the door is open, but they'll be on the other side of a closed door, shut out from God's banquet table. So this parable, it's not just for those that Jesus was with that night. It's, it's for us today. It stretches out over the centuries, and, and it puts us at the table with Jesus. So some important lessons that God wants us to learn here tonight. One lesson is God invites everyone. This is such a beautiful lesson. His invitation list is incredibly broad and generous. The master sent out wave after wave after wave of invitations to all types of people. And take a moment and just really consider this. Reflect on this. Compare God's invitation list to the way that the world typically makes its invitation list. Right? The world's invitations list, we know this. It's, they're selective. All of us probably had a childhood friend who didn't invite us to their birthday party. Right, oh, I've seen some shaking, you know, people shaking heads. And that was like 10 years ago. And you still remember that. I mean, that, tell, that tells you something, right? You were excluded. You were, you were selected out. Princeton University, 36,000 applicants last year. 5.5 or 6% got in. I mean, that's really selective. A few weeks ago, some of you bickered, you know, in some of the, some of the clubs on Prospect Avenue. You know, you bickered at one or two of the clubs, and you heard a no. Or, or maybe you heard a yes, but you know, your good friend heard a no. Right? There's, there's selectivity. That's, that's how lists are typically formed in the world. They're also competitive. You know, think of all the tryouts that happen at the beginning of each semester. Acapella groups, orchestras, sports teams, opportunities to be a lab assistant somewhere. You know, only a few are allowed to, you know, to invite it back and, and chosen. I know many of you, you're in the, still in the process of trying to find something, land something for the summer. So you sent, you know, just like the, the host, you sent out the first wave and the second wave and the third wave of resumes and applications. And you're still, you know, you're still looking for something, right? It, it's so competitive. <laughs> uh, anybody here at Richard Wilson School major? Public policy? <laughs> no? <laughs> wow. Here's why that's interesting. So a few years ago, to become a Woodrow Wilson School major, a public policy major, you had to be, you had to apply. It was actually a competitive, selective process. And they decided a few years ago to change it, to, to not make it competitive, to not restrict it. And one of the concerns was, is, well, wow, if, if, we, if we take the competitive aspect out of it, then maybe students won't be as interested in it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you tracking with me? It's like, if something's competitive, like a lot of students are like, oh, I gotta get into that. I, 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 that's what I should study. I don't know. What's public policy? I, I don't care. If it's competitive, I'm gonna get in there. Right? 
And so there was a concern that by making it less competitive, that there would be like a huge decrease. And I'm, well, I'm wondering if that is happening. <laughs> <laughs> that, and that's like our twisted human nature at work, right? <laughs> anyway, um, invitations lists are limited. Uh, this is now 11 years ago when President Obama had his first inauguration in 2008. He, he totally went against the competitive and selective list when it came to his inaugural ball. He decided this is going to be a party for you know regular Americans, and he actually invited thousands of people within Washington D.C. you know just from the streets of Washington D.C. like locally to come and join him in his celebration in his, in his inaugural ball. Right, but it, it was still limited. It wasn't selective. Right, you didn't have to be one of the elite, one of the billionaires that finance campaigns to get there. Right. And it wasn't competitive. It was it was limited, though. You had to be from D.C. Like if Chris Saladay showed up with like you know New Jersey Rocks T-shirt, you know, <laughs> President Obama would have been like, hey, just go back to the Garden State. You know, this is not for you. It was limited. But this is the way that the world is. Um, it's the nature of the world's invitations list. It, it, they're selective, they're competitive, and they're limited. And, and the world basically says, do you want in? Well, then here 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 are the bars to jump over. You know, do your best to jump over them. Even if you do, there's still no guarantee, but, you know, you can hope for the best. And as much as we don't like that sometimes, we have come to accept it. That is the way that it is. And if you compare this to God and his invitation list, when he has a party, when he is inviting people to a banquet, he invites everybody. I mean, every single person is invited without distinction. Nobody has a closed door before them with God. There is nothing you need to get God to open up the door for you. Right? It's like you don't need a PhD to get the door open. You, you, you don't need to become you don't need to come from a well-known family or have a certain bank size bank account or be a leader in several different areas. And, and all that stuff, it even just sounds silly to think like you need those things to have God open up the door for you. You need some of those things to have. You know, an investment bank opened the door for you in terms of getting a job, but not God. Like, do you need to get certain levels of holiness or perform certain numbers of prayers or rituals or sacrifices to have God open the door for you? No. None of that stuff gets you through God's door and gets you a seat at God's table at his banquet. And so you've got to hear that. I mean, if you want to enjoy God's life and God's presence, guess what? The door is wide open. What gets you in is you humble yourself. This is what Jesus said earlier in the encounter. You humble yourself before God. You bend your knee before him. You admit you need a savior and that Jesus Christ is that savior. And and, and then you begin to live your life for him. And, And that's what gets you in the door. That's the way through the door that God has prescribed. And one of the complaints that you sometimes hear about Christianity is that it is too exclusive or so narrow. And yes, like from a certain perspective, there is a certain narrowness and exclusivity, right? You have to come to God on his terms, and he's made it clear that we come to him through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But on the other hand, this parable challenges us. And it puts the responsibility back on us. The problem is not with God. He invites everybody without distinction. The door is open. 
The problem is with us. We're the ones who refuse his invitation. We're the ones who RSVP yes and change our mind and make it no. Or we just say a flat out no. We make our excuses. But God says, if you want in, the door's open. Walk through by humbling yourself, by repenting, by dying to yourself, believing in Jesus, and now walking and living your life for him. And if you're taking a part of Q for Q this weekend, this is, you need to have this vision, this this reality, you know, that you can see only with the eyes of faith before you. That right in front of the person that you're talking to, as they send in their serious question about faith or God or meaning of life or, or the Bible or, or whatever, as you see that person, as you're, as you're talking with that person with a, in, a, in a conversation, you need to see not just them, you need to see God and the, the, the door between them and God, that the door is wide open. It, it, it is wide open for them to walk through. It's not shut in their face. It's open. They don't have to perform years worth of stuff to get God to to open up the door, they just need to humble themselves and embrace God's way of walking through that door. And you, you, you're playing that role to helping them see that yeah, the door's open. You can go through and here's how you do it. And maybe God will use you in that way this weekend. So that's one lesson from this parable. Here's another lesson. There's a deadline for RSVP. Right? So God leaves the door open for us to respond to his gracious invitation. The gracious invitation that he extends to us in Jesus Christ. But at some point, he does shut the door. There's a deadline. And we need to view that deadline. It's an urgent deadline. And whether it's for our own selves or for those that we know, for those family and friends around us. Um, and, and this is hard to think about. But it's something that the parable, you know, it, it just forces us to think about. <laughs> and, you know, when it comes to urgency, I've heard a number of stories from you all over the years, of, of people getting in their assignments just seconds before the deadline. I've even seen timestamps of like your papers being submitted and your post assignments, your coding assignments being submitted. Like if it's due at five o'clock and zero seconds, I've seen timestamps of submissions at 459, 58, and 59. Like one or two seconds, I know. That's terrifying. Like just the last second. Okay, yes, all right. <laughs> People are seeing their light flash before their eyes, you know? Right? And I, or, you know, you go to the post office in, like, about a month or so on April 15th, and the line is going to be really long. Why? It's because that's tax day. It's the last day to turn your taxes, and usually there's a lot of people at the post office to get the post office mark, right? So when we're given a deadline, like, when there are hard and fast deadlines, it creates a sense of urgency. There's a cutoff an endpoint, a time of expiration. And, and then we're driven by that urgency until the deadline comes. And it should be, it's the same as we each stand before God. Right? We have to make a decision about whether or not we're going to follow him, walk through the door, or stay in you know, the banquet hall. But unlike a school assignment, you know, we don't know what the actual deadline is. We don't know you know, none of us know the day of our death when that deadline comes. It could be months, it could be years, it could be decades. But the reality is, is we don't know. And so the danger is, is that we're driven by urgency when it comes to our schoolwork and our work deadlines. But then when it comes to the urgency of this RSVP, we just, we just easily ignore it. We just forget about it. The door might be open for now, 
and we just think, well, it'll be open forever, but it's not. It's not open forever. And remember what the host of the parable said at the end, come now. Now is the time. It is all ready. So if you are making a decision, or if those you know are making a decision, now is the time. Now is the time. It is ready. God has done everything necessary to bring you through that door. Decide, choose to step through and to follow Christ. Don't postpone. Don't delay. Don't get sucked into distractions. Don't treat this as if this is not urgent, but all is ready now. Choose now. And tonight, or tomorrow, or Sunday night, again, if you're going out to talk to people during Q4Q, and they send in their questions, see each question. I, I know, like, I don't know what the percentage is, maybe 5 or 10% of the people, they just send in the question to get the quesadilla. But the majority of them are asking very heartfelt, very deep, profound, serious questions. See each question for what it is. It's, it's a cry from that sense of urgency, of trying to make sense of this world, life, is there a God? Can I find meaning and purpose? It's, it's really a cry out of urgency. And, and, and the, the wonderful thing is that if you're the one who gets to go and have the conversation with them, you get to be a part of that with them. As they cry out of that sense of urgency, is that you are the one that God sends to, to speak to them for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Or I know in some cases, sometimes for an hour, depending on how the conversation and it is possible, and of course I don't know, but it is possible that out of the 100 or 150 people or so that you all speak to this weekend, there are some for whom that deadline is relatively short. Life might be gone in three years, five years, ten years, not the presumed 50 or 60 years from where you sit. Now, we just don't know. So once you have RSVP, yes. Um, you, know, you know, be used by God with those people around you to, to, to answer those calls for urgency. Um, and then, if you have RSVP, yes, then follow through on that RSVP. There were plenty of people in the parable who said yes, but then they ended up being a no. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you know Jesus is my Savior and then, yes, check my business with God is done. I'm fine. I'm forgiven. It's all good. Right? No, if you have RSVP, yes. Now you live your life in light of the fact that you've made that RSVP commitment. So day by day, we want to grow in our understanding of God's grace. And we want to grow in our obedience. That there's joy in obeying and following Christ. So are we following through? on that commitment to Christ. And then one final lesson. God still has empty seats at his table, so keep inviting others to come and fill them. So the master commanded the servant, go out and invite, verse 17. And again, go back out and invite, 21. And again, go back out and invite, 23. <laughs> Why? It's because the master says in verse 23, so that my house will be full. That's what the host wants. That's what the master wants. He wants a full house. He wants every seat filled. And he uses his servants, just like he used in the parable, he uses his servants, which is you and me, to go out and to issue those invitations for others to come and join in the party. 
And it is amazing that God wants to use people like you and me to persuade and to convince and to compel others. But there's nothing better than knowing God and, and to follow and live for Christ. This is God's plan for getting the word out about his banquet, about his party. We tell others. And even tonight at our family dinner table, this just this came up, that Dr. Andy Bocarsley, he's a chemistry professor here, he was brought to Christian faith in grad school because somebody spoke up about the gospel in chemistry class, right? Um, Anna, your mom came up tonight at our dinner conversation because Jeremy, my son, just heard um, her Anna's mom's story, Laura, Laura's story. She was in Forbes Black Box Theater watching a performance, I know, and somebody, she just said something and then somebody brought up Jesus in the gospel and it wasn't that night that she came to faith, but that was a major turning point for her and her um, and God bringing her to faith. Even my own story. It was late in high school. It was a friend on the soccer team, Ted, and another friend on my track team in high school, Jeff. It just, just the two of them speaking up about their relationship with Jesus that really got me thinking about my relationship with God. Um, that's what God does. He uses people like us in sometimes really ordinary places like a track team or a chemistry class, to plant seeds that end up growing into uh, a, a, you know, much larger than we ever would expect. And so we should be prepared to be surprised. Some people, we might say, well, no, you know, they'll never you know, respond positively, but they do. Uh, and then others, who we might think, oh, they're, they're, they're going to respond positively, but, we, but they don't. There are just surprises. I mean, Jesus' parable hints at the the unpredictable nature of people's responses. It's not up to us to figure out how people are going to respond. It's just up to us to speak up and give them an opportunity and do it so faithfully. And to tell people that there are empty seats at God's table and that they're invited to join. So as you head out this weekend, uh, if, if you're heading out for Q for Q, Expect people that some of the people that you speak to, they'll, they're, they're going to be filled with empty seats at God's table. They might fill the empty seats this weekend, and that'd be so exciting um, that they would start that journey this weekend um, because of the Spirit moving in their life and because of your faithfulness. And maybe it doesn't start this weekend for them, but it starts a year from now or ten years from now. But tonight is a turning point. God uses it as a, as a turning point. I truly believe that some of the people that we speak to this weekend will be, will be around God's table with you one day. We believe that. Um, People say yes to the invitation. So deliver God's invitations faithfully and expect him to do good things when you